everyone, and welcome to the thrilling adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is episode 88. This episode, we will begin our look at the 18th storyline from the Superman radio serial, a colossal 15-part story that actually contains quite a few important moments for the show, um, as we've covered it to this point. So, it's been a while, and I'd like to ask where you've been, but, yeah. I I do want to apologize for the lack of episodes over the last couple weeks. Work has just been crazy busy. You know, it's weird, even given the commute to and from... I'm actually gone less time than I had been in June and July where I was working a lot more hours as part of the lead-up to the Switch, but it's just been really busy in my new uh, position. And that's not really a complaint. Uh, I do enjoy the the new post and and what I do. Um, In some ways, it's sort of reinvigorated my love of the job. Uh, Most of the people are really great to work with and and really talented. It's just really awesome when we are all gelling on the same page and we end up kind of feeding off one another. Uh, Some of you, I'm sure, can understand what I'm talking about. And the entire crew just ends up benefiting from that mutual synergy and and mutual creativity. Uh, The downside is it takes... And my last job was like this too, just just not as severe, but it takes many of the same muscles that podcasting does, or at least the, the notes and, and episode prep stages of podcasting. You know, you've got attention to detail and creativity and, and uh, a, little, uh, a little bit of, of a sense of humor, and the job is just so busy and so hectic that by the time I get off, I'm, I'm pretty mentally drained most nights, and I just don't feel like <laughs> exercising those same muscles as much in my off hours. So the podcast has suffered somewhat. Um, but still, there are, there are no plans at this time to end the show, but I make no pretense that I'm going to be able to keep up the weekly schedule going forward, um, at least until I get into more of a groove with the new position and, and can manage things a little better. So, if the weekly schedule becomes bi-weekly or, or even monthly, I'm sorry. There's just not a lot I can do about it. Um, I, I do hope it doesn't become monthly. You know, I, I don't want the show to become that infrequent. But, in t- well, to be fair, I don't even want it to become bi-weekly. But uh, until someone starts paying me to podcast, work's got to come first. And... Again, that's that's no complaint or, or slight to my job. It's just the uh, the basic reality of what I'm facing and, and trying to juggle both. But anyway, the show will continue as long as I'm able and as often as I'm able because Superman is just too awesome to ignore. So I've got quite a few emails that have come in in the last two to three weeks whenever it was I recorded last. I, I can't even remember at this point. But because I've gone on for two or three minutes here already, and this is going to be a longer episode anyway, 
We're going to keep the mailbag shut for this episode, but please keep on sending those emails and feedback, and I'm and I'll I'll be sure to read them in a future episode. Uh, one last note before we move on to the uh, regular promo and then the episode stuff. This is a reminder for those of you who are fans on the Facebook page and and a, a notice, I guess you would say, for those who aren't. But I want to bring your attention to episodes 17 and 18 of the Fantasticast, where Andrew Leyland and Stephen Lacey covered the Human Torch stories from Marvel Comics' Strange Tales number 112 and 113 from 1963. And while it may seem strange, talking about the Human Torch, Silver Age Human Torch, on a Golden Age Superman podcast, the reason you might be interested in these two stories is because they were scripted by none other than Jerry Siegel. Uh, This was, like I said, 1963. He was in the middle of his second run on the Superman books. His second run lasted from 1959 to 1966. Um, At this point, from what it seems, Siegel was... I guess trying to explore his options in writing for other companies. Um, he scripted these two stories over Stanley Plots, and then just a few months later, he began his run with Archie Comics, doing all of the uh, uh, Mighty Crusaders. Although he, it was it was a couple years before the actual Mighty Crusaders team was formed, but he did uh, some stories for The Fly and The Shadow, um, and a, he actually did some other non-Superman stories for DC as well. So he was kind of stretching his legs a, a little bit more after pretty much only writing Superman for, you know, three years or so. But um, it, it's really interesting to check these out. The, the guys actually gave a fairly good review to the stories, so be sure to check them out. Uh, Steven and Andrew put together a good show with the Fantastic Cast covering those uh, great old Fantastic Four stories by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Uh, but anyway, you can find that podcast at ffcast.libsyn.com. And like I said, that was episodes 17 and 18. So be sure to check those out if you're interested in uh, hearing about more Jerry Siegel goodness that, that isn't Superman. Uh, but that's it for the... Um, pre-show ramble, I guess you might call it. Uh, Right now, it's time for a promo for a very awesome podcast that is rising from the ashes like a bat-shaped phoenix. And then we'll be back for our story. In September of 2011, a new show hit the internet called Bailey's Batman Podcast. The show's premise was to cover Batman in the comics starting with the first appearance of Jason Todd. It lasted seven episodes, and then disappeared. Now, it's back. That's right, folks. Michael Bailey here with the news that Bailey's Batman podcast has returned with a new format and a new release schedule. Before, things were pretty rigid, and I was sticking with just the comic books. Now the show is more casual as I cover what I want to talk about in regards to The Dark Knight when I want to cover it. 
the comics, the movies, the animated series, the trading cards, the action figures. Anything and everything is fair game with movie and episode commentaries and special guest hosts as well. So head on over to www.baileysbatmanpodcast.com every two weeks to check out the latest episode. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Bailey's Podcasts and check out the Bailey's Batman Podcast page on Facebook. Bailey's Batman Podcast. The best Batman podcast on the internet. Hosted by Michael Bailey, that is. So like I said, this episode we are starting our coverage of the 18th storyline from the radio serial. And it's composed of episodes 103 to 117 of the serial, which aired over the course of a full month from October 7th to November 8th, 1940. There was only one Superman comic during that time, which was Action Comics number 30, which was the focus of last episode. But Superman number 8 came out just a few days after this story ended, so it's kind of all there together. Uh, The Sunday newspaper strip wrapped up The Dangerous Inheritance and then launched Superman into a new adventure, while The Daily Strip started a new storyline on the exact day that this storyline started. And that continued through the end of November, so we'll be looking at that at some point down the road. So, coming back to the radio, like I said, this was a 15-episode arc, which is the longest on the radio so far. Because it's so long, we are changing things up a bit, and this episode, I will do all of the synopsis. And then next episode will be all of my comments. In future storylines where I need to split it up, I, I plan to take a chunk of episodes for synopsis and commentary, and then do the rest of the episodes with synopsis and commentary, you know, in the next episode. But I screwed up. (laughs) I I had originally planned to do this storyline all in one episode of the show. Uh, But because of all the work issues that I talked about earlier, I decided to split it up. But unfortunately, I had already started, and I I had listened to the whole thing and kind of got a good idea of what I wanted to say. And I didn't want my notes on the earlier episodes to taint my thoughts on the later ones or or vice versa. So I'm kind of uh, falling back and punting, to use a football term, uh, since the NFL has just started again. Uh, But like I said, future episodes will will be more um, sensibly split up. Uh, But anyway, like I said, 15 episodes, and here's the intro. As our story opens today... Kent and young Jimmy Olsen, Daily Planet copy boy, are returning home from their amazing adventures in the Caribbean Sea. Summoned back by Perry White, editor of the Daily Planet, they're traveling north in the luxury of a compartment aboard the Thunderbolt, crack streamliner of the Atlantic Railroad. Clark Kent eagerly turns the pages of a late newspaper while Jimmy looks out the window. Neither one has a thought of danger. But even as the gleaming flyer slows down for a station, a voice from the past, unheard for months, Travels over a secret wavelength. Listen. A voice identifying himself as B.R. makes radio contact with someone known only as Y.M., reporting that everything is ready and plans have been made for a certain automobile to be met. 
He starts to talk about a transfer, but YM isn't interested in details. He only wants an assurance that everything will go as planned and tells BR to report back in the usual way. Meanwhile, aboard the train, Clark tries to interest Jimmy in the, in the newspaper, but the cub reporter seems distracted at the sights outside the window. He sees two cars that seem to be racing along a road near the tracks. The cars soon outrace the train, but Jimmy keeps an eye out, hoping that the train will catch up. Suddenly, the peaceful ride is interrupted by the sound of a woman's scream and breaking glass. Clark and Jimmy run to the next car to investigate the story and find a window that's been shattered. As the crowd gathers, a sobbing woman tells them she was reading a magazine when something crashed through the window. Another passenger says a doctor will be along shortly, but the woman assures them that she's okay, just frightened. Clark and Jimmy look around the compartment and out in the hall, but seemingly can't find anything that would have crashed through the window. Before they can question it too much, however, the conductor shows up. So Clark and Jimmy say they'll go back to their compartment so they won't be in the way. Jimmy thinks that there's a story and that they should investigate more, but Clark just brushes them off. However, once back at the compartment, Clark explains that there may be other angles to the story. He then tells Jimmy to think about and remember which came first, the woman's scream or the breaking glass. After some thought, they realize her scream came first, which means that her story doesn't quite add up. Clark thinks she wasn't reading a magazine at all, but that it was something she saw out the window that made her scream. Clark then reveals that he found the object that crashed through the window. After pulling it from his pocket, a closer inspection reveals that it's a cloth package containing dozens of precious stones and jewels. Remembering a story from the newspaper about a recent jewel robbery, Clark deduces that it must be the $5 million in gems that were stolen. He then puts them back into the pouch and tells Jimmy to hide it. The boy then remembers that he saw the cars racing alongside the train earlier and suggests that maybe they are tied in with the jewel robbery. Clark decides to go look around, but tells Jimmy to stay put and hide the bag. Once alone in the hall, Clark changes to Superman, opens a nearby door, and leaps out into the sky, hoping to get a better look at the tracks. Elsewhere, BR once again radios the mysterious YM, reporting that the transfer has failed. BR says they followed the car and prevented it from reaching the station, but that there was a fight, and the person in the car tossed the jewels through the train window. YM grows irate at the failure and says he will take over and find the gems for himself. He then disconnects the call and swears that the yellow mask will not fail. Some time has passed. The yellow mask has boarded the train and, while impersonating a railroad detective, is talking with the woman from last episode. The woman tells her story just as she had to Clark, but is taken aback and somewhat frightened by the mask's hard-nosed approach. He continues to push, trying to find out what happened to the object that broke the window. However, the woman says she doesn't know what it was or what happened to it. All she knows is, after the incident, people came running, including a newspaper reporter and a boy. The mask inquires about the reporter and the boy, finally getting a physical description and their compartment number. And then he takes his leave, saying he's going to go interview other passengers. Once out in the hall, the mask speaks to Paul, apparently the latest in his long line of flunkies. 
Paul has been unable to find the object that crashed through the window, but he did locate the compartment where the reporter and the boy are sleeping, and that the boy is alone. The mask tells Paul to go through the train and try to find the reporter, who the mask fears is Clark Kent, and keep an eye on him. Meanwhile, the mask is going to go have a talk with the boy. Elsewhere, Superman soars through the sky, having combed the highway a hundred miles in each direction and found nothing. He's about to head back to the train when he spots a wrecked car on fire. Speeding to the scene, the Man of Steel comes across an injured man, who babbles somewhat incoherently about some jewels in a fight. The man tells how she was supposed to meet him on the rear platform of the train. When she didn't show, he threw the jewels through the train window, but they caught him anyway and shot him. Superman presses the man about who shot him, and the man reveals that it was the yellow mask. About then, Superman hears the wail of a police siren, drawn to the scene by the fire. Knowing they will take care of the injured man, Superman leaps into the air and speeds back towards the train. With Jimmy alone, Superman pours on the speed, knowing that every single second counts. Meanwhile, back aboard the train, the mask rejoins Paul, but grows angry that the thug was unable to find Clark. Thinking he might be in the compartment after all, the mask tells Paul to creep down the hall and listen outside the door. They hear Jimmy talking to the train porter, but are unsure if Clark is inside or not. The mask tells Paul to wait in the corridor, and if Clark should show up, to make sure he stays away from the room, by whatever means necessary. The mask, meanwhile, enters the room and introduces himself as the railroad detective. But then, much to Jimmy's surprise, he tells the porter to freeze and demands that Jimmy tell him where the jewels are. The boy refuses to say, but wants to know whom he really is, and is surprised and terrified when the man reveals himself as the yellow mask. The mask tells the porter and Jimmy to be quiet and hand over the jewels. Jimmy plays dumb, but it's too late, because the mask knows the jewels are there. Jimmy bravely stands up to the criminal, telling the mask to find them for himself. He also warns the mask better clear out before Clark returns. The mask starts to get forceful, but then stops short, resorting to a different tactic. He praises Jimmy, saying that he recognizes the boy's bravery. He realizes Jimmy is too brave to hand over the jewels by force, but he says that Jimmy will still hand them over because, while he's brave, he's also loyal. Too loyal to want anything bad to happen to his friend Clark. The mask tells Jimmy that Paul is waiting out in the hall, and will take care of Clark if he returns. Scared for Clark's sake, Jimmy pulls out the pouch and hands them to the mask. As the train begins to slow to pull into a station, the mask turns to leave the compartment, only to be confronted by the woman. She holds the mask, Jimmy, and the porter at gunpoint, and demands that they hand over the jewels. The mask refuses, but eventually relents when the woman threatens to shoot. She then hits the mask on the back of the head with the gun, knocking him out, and leaves. As Jimmy and the porter worry about what to do, we cut to Superman, soaring towards the train. He grabs hold of the side of the train and slips inside, and then hears Jimmy's voice crying out for help. He quickly changes back to Clark, and meets up with the boy, who tells him that the yellow mask just leapt out the window. Jimmy explains everything that happened in the first half of the episode, and Clark is about to give chase to the woman when Jimmy stops him. 
He then dumps the jewels onto the counter and reveals that what he gave the mask and what the mask gave the woman was only an empty package. Jimmy was afraid that someone might try to steal them, so after Clark left, he had hid them in his pocket just in case. Meanwhile, as Jimmy and Clark wonder about what the thieves will do when they find out they've been duped, the yellow mask and Paul speed along the road in a car chasing after the woman. Suddenly, they see the woman standing in the middle of the road. They bring their car to a halt and demand at gunpoint that she hand over the package. The woman willingly tosses it to them, fully aware that the gems aren't inside. Realizing they've both been tricked and that they both have the same goal, the yellow mask proposes that he and the woman work together to take on their mutual enemy of Clark Kent. And the woman agrees, saying that she has a plan sure to succeed because Clark won't have any idea what he's up against. Back on the train, Clark and Jimmy talk, recapping the events of the last three episodes. A knock on the door, and Clark receives a telegram from Perry White, telling him to get off the train at Minerville, check into a hotel, and wait for a call from him about an assignment. Jimmy's not mentioned in the telegram, but the two decide that he should get off the train as well. Little do Clark and Jimmy know, though, that the telegram was not from Perry at all. A short time later, the Yellow Mask receives a call informing him that Clark received the telegram and is now registered at the hotel. The Mask and the mysterious woman celebrate that everything is going to plan and discuss the next step of burglarizing their room to get the jewels. The Mask then gets another call informing him of a monkey wrench in their plan. It seems the hotel has a special guest in the form of an international ambassador. The hotel has arranged for police on every floor for added security during the ambassador's visit. Since the mask and his men are all known to police, the woman says she'll have to handle the job herself. She then tells the mask to call his accomplices and enlist two men and a woman to aid in her plan. At the hotel, Clark locks the jewels in a wall safe as he and Jimmy are settling in. They weren't able to get a double room, but their rooms are connected surrounded on either side by the ambassador's secretary and a minister, so they should be safe enough. Clark wonders about the assignment and hopes Perry will call soon. He then tells Jimmy that they should be getting to bed when they hear a racket out in the hall. Jimmy peeks out the door and Clark asks the room clerk, who explains that a particular guest, a woman paralyzed from the neck down, needed a large room, so the reverend has given his up. The clerk apologizes, saying that he knows that Clark was concerned about who was room next to them, but assures that there's nothing to worry about. Satisfied, Clark and Jimmy say goodnight and head to their separate rooms and prepare to settle in. Shortly later, however, once Jimmy falls asleep, the mysterious woman creeps into Jimmy's room and finds the wall safe, laughing to herself at how easy it will be to crack it. The next morning, Jimmy is awoken by the hotel's wake-up call, but he and Clark are shocked to see the safe door open and the jewels gone. The two head to the lobby, wondering how the jewels could have been stolen without waking either one of them. Clark dismisses the idea, saying that it could have been anyone in the neighboring rooms. Clark plans to report the theft at the desk and then wait for the call from Perry, who Clark had apparently called earlier before Jimmy woke up and left a message. Before they get to the desk, however, a call comes in for Clark. He tells Jimmy to go on to the clerk's desk and wait, 
but not to say anything about the jewels. Once alone, Clark answers the phone and tells Perry that they are in the hotel in Minerville, just as he told them in the telegram. But Perry says he didn't send any such wire, laughing it off and telling Clark to hurry home. Clark then meets up with Jimmy and fills him in on the dupe, saying it must have been another ruse by the yellow mask. Jimmy responds, saying that while Clark was on the phone, he overheard the clerk saying that when he went to check on the paralyzed woman earlier that morning, she was gone. All that was left in the room were the gurney, blankets, and a set of burglar tools. Jimmy is sure the woman was really the mysterious woman from the train and that she stole the jewels from the wall safe. Figuring the woman left on the early train to head back towards the city, Clark says the only way to beat her there is to fly, and the two rush off to the airport in hopes of hiring a plane. A short time later, Clark and Jimmy are winging their way towards the city in a rented plane. They see the Parkway Building, a 30-story tower that, while abandoned, has become a city landmark and know they are near the city. Clark tries to land the plane, but is caught in a crosswind and is unable to turn. He struggles for all he can to guide the plane through the thick fog as the motor starts to miss out, eventually dying completely. The plane hurtles downward, driven faster and faster by the strong wind. Jimmy panics, but Clark, ever cool as a cucumber, assures the boy that everything will be okay and is able to safely steer the plane down into a marsh. Sometime later, Clark and Jimmy arrive at the train station, intent on following the mysterious woman, hoping that she will lead them to the Yellow Mask. They follow her on the subway train and try to stay out of sight while still keeping an eye on her. However, as the train goes through a tunnel, the lights in the train go out and the train comes to a temporary stop. When the lights come back, Clark and Jimmy are surprised to find the mysterious woman has disappeared, once more eluding their grasp. Some time has passed. Clark and Jimmy have returned to the offices of the Daily Planet and related the story's events to Perry. Everyone's favorite editor turns deathly pale at the story, and it has Clark repeat the part about how their plane was caught in a crosswind and Clark struggled to land it. Perry is shocked at the similarity of Clark's story to a mystery that has been brewing while Clark was gone. It seems over the past month, four planes carrying jewels coming into the city have never arrived. They would approach the city with full radio contact, and then communication would cut off, and the planes would disappear without a trace. No one has seen what's happened to the planes because the alleged accidents have always occurred on rainy and foggy nights with poor visibility. Perry thinks that if the yellow mask is behind what happened to Clark and Jimmy over the last few episodes, that he might possibly be behind the other incidents as well. Perry says that good old Bill Wentworth, the reporter that was in Manal with Jimmy during the adventure with Professor Thorpe, has been covering the stories, flying on various routes all week to try to get the scoop, and will be returning that evening. He says Wentworth's plane is due at the Eastern Airport in about a half an hour. Clark's ears perk up when he learns the plane is coming in from the southeast, and he and Jimmy head out to the airport, hoping to meet the plane as it lands. Elsewhere, a mysterious J.R. delivers a message over shortwave radio to the two unknown parties. He tells them that Y.M. received a message that preliminaries have been carried out. The weather is fog and rain with poor visibility. The plane is coming in, and YM wants all posts to stand by for action. 
Clark and Jimmy soon arrive at the central control tower of the airport and speak with the chief operator, learning that Wentworth's plane is due at any minute. The chief operator tells them how the control tower equipment has been picking up a strange beam that suddenly appears and disappears just as quickly. They've called in the feds to investigate and further explains that the towers have picked up the beam each time before one of the planes went missing. A call then comes in that Wentworth's plane is approaching. The chief operator radios back, guiding the plane in personally. Things seem to be going okay when the equipment again picks up the strange beam. The chief operator contacts Wentworth's plane, but the radio goes dead, and the plane disappears, just like the others. A short time later, Clark takes Jimmy for a walk before going back to the office. They worry about Wentworth's fate as they approach the Parkway Tower. Clark points out the abandoned building and the fact that when their plane was pulled off course, it was near the tower. And when Wentworth's plane disappeared, again, the tower was right in its path. He also points out that when the mysterious woman eluded them on the subway, it was directly beneath where the tower sits. He then declares that he's sure the secret of the disappearing planes, the missing jewels, and possibly the very headquarters of the Yellow Mask himself are inside the skyscraper. As our next episode begins, the mysterious woman and the Yellow Mask are inside the tower, which, as it turns out, Clark was correct about concerning it serving as the Mask's headquarters. The woman mocks such a poorly hidden base, but the Mask says police wouldn't look for him there for just that reason. The woman isn't convinced, but changes the subject, anxious to get her cut of the jewels so that she can leave. But the Mask isn't in such a hurry, and tries to persuade the woman to join him on a more permanent basis, offering her power beyond all belief. The woman remains reluctant, and the Mask opens a safe, pointing out a treasure in diamonds and rubies. The woman wonders how he got them, and the Mask exposits, saying that there's another reason he opted for this particular spot as his base. The land surrounding the building is deep quicksand. He learned that the jewels from around the country were being flown into the National Jewelry Exposition, and then used his scientific know-how to create false radio beams that led each of the planes directly into the quicksand. His men then would quickly recover the jewels, and the planes themselves sunk without a trace. The Mask says he's only got a two-man crew right now, but with the money from the jewels, he can get what only money can buy. Power. With his monologuing done, the woman steps up. Knowing the Mask's forces are few, she seizes the opportunity and holds the Mask at gunpoint. She then grabs a conveniently nearby suitcase and fills it with the jewels from the safe. The Mask tells her that the revolt is pointless. His men have orders to shoot anyone who tries to leave, and she'll never make it out of the building alive. But the woman forces him to call his men and give the order to allow her to leave. The Mask threatens her, saying that she'll regret turning on him because the Yellow Mask never forgets. And the woman just laughs, saying she hopes not, because she wants him to remember. Remember how he was beaten by a mere woman. She then grabs the key to the room, locking the mask inside, and bids him farewell. Meanwhile, outside, Clark and Jimmy race across the rain-soaked field, recapping as they go. Thinking they hear voices, Clark stops short. He and Jimmy crouch into the shadows and watch the woman exit the building while carrying the suitcase. 
Clark confronts her when she approaches, but the woman plays coy, saying she's an airline hostess. She acts like she's pulling out her ID, but really pulls a gun and is able to make her escape. Clark tells Jimmy to stay put and breaks off in a run to follow. Once out of sight, Clark changes to Superman, leaping down in front of the mysterious woman. Shots ring out and the woman runs off, but her screams pierce the silence of the night, and as Superman gives chase, he is shocked to find the woman has once more vanished. Superman scours the area, looking for the woman, but finds no trace of her until he hears her screams and sees that she's stuck in quicksand and struggling to break free. Running forward, Superman wades into the quicksand, grabs the woman, who has conveniently passed out now, and carries her, with some great effort, from the muddy trap. Hearing Jimmy's cries for Clark, Superman resumes his guise and guides the boy nearer. As the woman starts to come to, she thanks Clark for saving her life, and apologizes for that whole, you know, threatening to kill him thing. Still in shock from her ordeal, she says she'll do anything to help them. Clark asks about the yellow mask, and the woman explains that he's locked in a room in the tower. She then tells Clark and Jimmy all about how the mask was using false radio beams to lower the planes to their demise and ultimately steal the jewels. As Jimmy goes to find the suitcase of jewels, we find out that the woman's name is Chicky Larimer. Jimmy soon returns and says all they have to do now is find the mask. But Clark says it won't be that easy, because all they have is Chicky's word against the yellow mask, and that's probably not enough to hold up in court since, you know, she's a thief. But with the woman's help, Clark is sure they can get the mask, and the three head back to the airport in their car so that they can get back to the city to set their trap. As time folds forward, news spreads about Chickie's thefts and how that she's now in custody, but refusing to, co- to cooperate with police. Cut to the office of the police commissioner Malone, where we find out the news reports are all part of a trap laid by Clark and the police in order to lure the yellow mask out of hiding. Elsewhere, the yellow mask meets with a man named Lefty, offering him a whopping $500 to break the woman out of prison and bring her to him. Lefty convinces him to make it 1000 and the yellow mask explains that Lefty may be followed and starts to detail what to do if he is. Back at police headquarters, we learn that Lois Lane has been locked in a jail cell. The hope is that the yellow mask has heard about the woman being captured and allegedly unwilling to talk, and then will try to break her out. And it's really convenient how the uh, good guy's plots and the bad guy's plots seem to coincide. But anyway, when he unknowingly takes Lois instead, Clark will follow and hopefully catch the yellow mask. The commissioner offers to send a police detail as well, but Clark says no, because he and Jimmy will be enough. A phone call then comes in from a deputy at the prison saying that someone claiming to be Chickie's brother just showed up at the prison wanting to talk to her. Clark and the commissioner then take their places outside the front window and watch as Lois is led from the prison and into a waiting car. Taking his cue, Clark then dashes off to follow. Soon, Lefty's car screeches to a halt by a drawbridge. Lefty forces the gatekeeper to open the bridge, but doesn't let him change the signal. Lefty then ties up the gatekeeper before he and his men take off again. A little way back on the road, Clark and Jimmy follow after Lefty and his thugs. As they approach the drawbridge, Clark pours on the speed, not knowing the watery fate that awaits ahead. 
As they near the bridge, Jimmy sees that it's open, but Clark is unable to stop, and the car crashes through the iron guardrail, plunging deep into the murky waters below. Elsewhere, Lefty's car pulls into the driveway of a dimly lit house. As they pull Lois from the car, she tries to convince them that she's not chicky, but Lefty isn't buying it and leads her into the home. As Lois laughs, the yellow mask berates Lefty for getting the wrong woman. Lois, going along with the plan concocted earlier, says that her name is Helen Taylor. She says that she was in the same cell with Chicky, and Lefty simply grabbed the wrong person. The mask pushes, wanting to know if she talked about anything with Chicky, and Lois says that Chicky only said that if she got out first, she was to find the yellow mask and give him a message. Chicky wanted the mask to know that she was sorry for stealing the jewels from him and that she had hidden them under a bush near the parkway tower. Lois offers to lead him there, and the mask says they'll leave at once. But first, Lois wants to use the phone, saying that she wants to call her sister and let her know that she's out of jail. The mask directs her into the next room, and Lois goes to make the call, while the mask lets Lefty back in and gets a recap of what went down at the prison. The mask thinks it's suspicious that no one tried to stop Lefty when he left, and grabs a phone extension to listen in on Lois's call. Overhearing her calling police headquarters, introduce herself as Lois Lane and asks to speak to the commissioner, the yellow mask realizes that he's been played yet again. Meanwhile, Clark and Jimmy have rented a second car and are driving back to town. Clark makes excuses about how they got out of the water and tells Jimmy that he's sure the yellow mask is responsible for the accident. As they stop at police headquarters, the commissioner is coming out and tells them that he just got a call from Lois. He's now on their way to the Parkway Tower, where 50 officers are already waiting, ready to close in and intercept the mask. Clark is relieved that everything is going to plan, and the three of them head towards the tower. A bit later, Clark and the commissioner crouch in the shadows, waiting for the mask to show up. They're a bit concerned, thinking the mask should have been there already, when they hear a plane approaching. They don't give it much attention, thinking that it will level off and land at a nearby airfield, but soon realize that the plane is diving right towards them. Hey kids, comics! Hey Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Hey, kids, comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com. Clark, Jimmy, and the Commissioner run for their lives as the plane dives at them and then swoops back into the sky, missing them by mere inches. The Commissioner thinks it might have been an accident, but Clark is far more suspicious. 
Jimmy then finds a monkey wrench with an envelope addressed to Clark attached. Thinking it might have been tossed from the plane, Clark opens the envelope to find a note from the yellow mask. The letter tells how the mask made Lois Lane talk and has discovered their plan. He reminds of the Dyerville Flood as an, as an example of his power, and then gives until dawn to return the jewels, or else. The commissioner stands firm, saying they will not negotiate with criminals, and are under no circumstances returning the jewels. He says they'll send out a three-state alarm and capture the mask the old-fashioned way. But with only five hours until dawn, Clark suggests the police search the tower for a lead, and the three men head back to the car to return to police headquarters to devise a plan. As the alarm goes out, officers bring in a steady parade of characters suspected to be the yellow mask. But unfortunately, none are the genuine article. Seeing the commissioner is stressed, Clark suggests that he get some rest, and once the commissioner is gone, confides in Jimmy that he's a little worried that they haven't heard from Lois yet. After a bit more conversation, Clark decides to take a more proactive approach, and hopes that returning the jewels, or at least a suitcase full of rocks that they're going to pretend are the jewels, will lure the mask out of hiding. He thinks it is best if he goes alone, but Jimmy begs to go, and Clark finally relents, agreeing to include both Jimmy and the commissioner. A short time later, we catch up with the three in a car headed towards the predetermined meeting spot. The commissioner is worried that they should have brought officers along, but Clark is confident that they can handle it on their own. He tells Jimmy and the commissioner to duck down and hide, and once they arrive at the stop, Clark plants the suitcase, and then U-turns and drives off again. A short ways down the road, Clark parks, and the three men duck into the woods to circle back and watch the spot. As they near, Clark tells Jimmy and the commissioner to crouch near the trees, while he moves forward for a different view so that they will be sure not to miss the mask when he arrives. In a cabin about a mile from the meeting point at the crossroads, the yellow mask instructs Lefty and Joe to get the jewels, but to be careful because it might be another trap. We find out that Lois is resting in the next room, and still alive for reasons they don't really get into. Other than the fact that she's Lois Lane, that is. Anyway, the mask follows Lefty and Joe outside, giving them final instructions on measures to take, just in case. Meanwhile, Clark waits in the darkness, thinking his plan might have fizzled because no one has showed up yet. But he soon gets over his sad sackery when he hears Lefty and Joe approach. As they grab the suitcase, Superman leaps from the shadows. The thugs shoot, but can't stop the Man of Steel. A struggle ensues, and Joe is knocked out, but Lefty runs off. Superman gives chase, but hurriedly changes back to Clark when he hears Jimmy and the Commissioner approaching, having been drawn by the gunshots. Thinking the man must know about the mask's operation, Clark suggests bringing him back to headquarters for interrogation. While the Commissioner goes out to get the car, Jimmy asks if Clark really knocked the guy out. He tells how he saw the two men go after the suitcase, and then saw a third man jump across the road, and thinks it might have been Superman. But Clark laughs it off, assuring the boy that it was him that jumped over the two men, but jokingly thanks Jimmy for the compliment, saying it's not everyone who gets mistaken for Superman. Before they can discuss it further, the commissioner arrives with the car, and the three head back to town. Elsewhere, Lefty arrives back at the masked cabin, having ran the entire way, 
and informs him of the latest failure. The Mask thinks Lefty and his tales of some guy in a costume are crazy, but berates him for leaving Joe behind. Sure, Joe will talk and reveal the location of their hideout, the Mask thinks they must be ready. He then demonstrates a trapdoor mechanism leading down into a concrete tank, and the two thugs leave to make preparations for their likely visitors. A short time later, Clark, Jimmy, and the Commissioner, having wormed information from Joe, speed towards the Yellow Mask's cabin. As they approach the house, Clark stops the car, intent on going the rest of the way on foot. They creep cautiously and quietly. Clark tells the Commissioner and Jimmy to go through the front door while he takes the rear entrance. Once Clark has gone, the Commissioner tells Jimmy to stay behind him and goes through the unlocked front door, little suspecting the trap that awaits just a few steps away. The front door to the cabin swings open, and the Commissioner cautiously steps inside with Jimmy close behind. They hear a noise and stop short, but deciding as it's likely Clark getting into the rear of the house, press forward, only to fall through the yellow mask trap and tumble down into the concrete tank. As they light a match and try to recover, a set of iron bars slides over the top of the tank, trapping them inside. Jimmy tries calling out for Clark, but the mask's voice emanates from a speaker, warning them not to call out again. While nursing his ankle that was broken in the fall, the commissioner agrees, telling Jimmy to stay silent or they could all end up in the trap. Back upstairs, Clark frantically searches the house, trying to find Jimmy. He runs upstairs, only to come face to face with the yellow mask himself. Clark demands to know where Lois is, and the mask says she's safe, as are Jimmy and the commissioner, as long as Clark does what he's told and hands over the jewels. Clark starts to call his bluff, but the mask warns that there are men watching should Clark try to lay a hand on him, reminding that the welfare of Lois, Jimmy, and the commissioner all hang in the balance. Clark says he has the jewels, and he'll get them if he releases the others. But the mask, not being a complete idiot, says the jewels must come first. But being a considerate supervillain, says he'll show Clark that Lois is okay in order to prove his sincerity. After some more posturing from both men, the mask leads Clark to a room at the rear of the cabin. He locks Clark in the room as well to give them a moment alone, but warns that there should be no tricks. Outside, the mask tells Lefty that he has Clark where he wants him, and goes on to explain that when Clark brings the jewels, he plans on tricking him into falling through the trap door. Lefty is to then release the iron bars just before they fall, and then reset them once Clark is in the tank and then meet the mask in the field behind the cabin where a plane will be waiting. When the yellow mask returns to the room, Lois gets a bit mouthy, but the mask is only concerned with the jewels. Clark says they're in the car on the road leading towards the cabin and assures the mask that he's not lying. Even though he is, as he tells Lois later. But the mask then leads Clark and Lois to the front of the cabin. He flips a switch and tells Lois and Clark to go out the door, and he will follow. But as the reporters near the threshold, they fall through the trap door as well and into the concrete tank, and Lefty closes the iron bars once again, trapping them both inside. As Lois and Clark pick themselves up from the fall, they are shocked, shocked, I tell you, to find out that the commissioner and Jimmy are trapped in the tank as well. After some recap and a bunch of talk about how to get out, 
The yellow mask voice once again comes from the speaker, demanding that they tell him where the jewels are. The commissioner gets mouthy, but Clark finally says the jewels are locked in a safe at police headquarters. Satisfied, the mask has Lefty lower a phone down into the pit. He wants the commissioner to call and order an officer to deliver the jewels to the predetermined meeting point, or they will all die. The commissioner refuses, but Clark eventually talks him into it, saying that it might be their only hope of getting out. So even though he doesn't really want to, the commissioner calls, speaking to a Captain Sullivan, and gives the instructions just as the mask demanded. A short time later, Lefty, along with Joe, who is now inexplicably out of jail again, have gone to wait for the captain to deliver the jewels. As the car approaches, they leap to the center of the road, waving flashlights and causing the car to screech to a halt. At gunpoint, they force the officer to hand over the suitcase of jewels, and then knock out the captain. Seeing the bountiful treasure before them, Lefty suggests that they head for the hills, and keep the jewels for themselves. And after tossing the captain's unconscious form into the bushes, the thugs speed off in the officer's car, headed towards parts unknown. Back in the tank, it's exposition time. Lois and Jimmy have fallen asleep, so Clark admits that he doesn't really expect the mask to let them go, even if he gets the jewels. But the only way to convict him is to catch him with the stolen goods, which is why he convinced the commissioner to make the call. Clark then tells the commissioner he should get some rest. He says it's been about an hour since the call, so the captain should have handed over the jewels by now, and promises that once the mask has them, he's in for a big surprise unaware of the other surprise awaiting the mask concerning the thug's betrayal. As the next episode begins, the mask's voice comes over the speaker once more, providing an excellent opportunity for some recappy McRecap. The mask is growing impatient that the jewels haven't shown up yet, and there's some back-and-forth threats between him and the commissioner, while Clark tries to keep the whole situation calm. Meanwhile, Captain Sullivan has recovered and flags down a passing car, who takes him to a nearby telephone. There, he calls police headquarters, informing them of what happened. He says it was too dark to get a good look at the suspects, but orders an alarm sent out for them. At the same time, Lefty and Joe speed towards the city, like the devil himself was after them. They turn on the police radio, where they hear the alarm calling out for their heads. Lefty brings the car to a dead stop, knowing that driving into the city is dangerous. After grabbing the case of jewels, they push the car off the side of the road where it won't be found, and then try to flag down the next passing vehicle, intent on carjacking it. Unfortunately, the car blows right by them. And Joe, not being the sharpest tool in the criminal shed, shoots at the car, hoping to scare the driver. Lefty berates him, knowing the shots will only bring more police attention, and the two run into the woods, hoping to avoid being found. As 150 officers blanket the city, looking for Lefty, Joe, and the Jewels, the thugs hike through the woods until they come across a farmhouse. There, they see an old car parked in the front yard, so they slip into the house and hold the man inside at gunpoint. They eventually just cut right to the chase, and knock the guy out, and grab the keys, and take the car. Soon, radio news reports that officers are closing in on the thugs. Back in the pit, the commissioner's ankle is throbbing, so Clark takes a look and tries to set it, but the commissioner passes out from the pain. Since Jimmy and Lois are still asleep, Clark seizes the opportunity to 
to change to Superman and smash through the concrete wall. Quietly, mind you, so as to not wake everyone. Which leads me to question if being able to quietly smash through a six-foot-thick concrete wall could be considered a superpower. Anyway, after smashing a hole in the wall, the commissioner starts to come to, so Superman resumes his guise as Clark Kent. But before they can escape through the newly created hole, the masked voice comes to the speaker once more, saying that he has a gun and warns them not to move so much as a muscle. Does the yellow mask know Superman has created an exit? Has the mask learned Superman's secret? And what can Clark Kent do now, with escape so near and yet so far? Find out in the thrilling conclusion. The yellow mask's voice. Apparently a sound more deafening than what happens when you smash through a six-foot-thick concrete wall wakes Jimmy and Lois. The mask warns them all not to move and says that he just heard over the radio that Lefty and Joe are being hunted by police and that that news has sealed their fate. After Clark recaps the plan that unfolded over the last couple episodes, saying that he they just did what was asked of them, the mask demands to know why the police are chasing after Lefty and Joe. Clark, intuitive as always, says perhaps they tried to double-cross him, but the mask doesn't buy it, saying that no one dares cross the yellow mask. Uh, apparently forgetting about the wolf and maybe Kino, and the mysterious woman from earlier in this very storyline. All of whom dared. Twice in the case of the mysterious woman. But anyway, Clark tells the mask that the commissioner broke his ankle and is in great pain. But the mask is unconcerned, saying he won't suffer for much longer. He doesn't care who's at fault or what the problem is. All he knows is that he's not getting his jewels, and now he has to go to all the trouble of monologuing and recapping story points before he can just shoot people and get out of Dodge. After some more chest-thumping, posturing, and vague threats from Clark, the Mask agrees to give them ten more minutes to meet their end of the bargain. Meanwhile, Lefty and Joe are being pursued by police. Evading the cars that were right on their tail and unsure of what to do, Lefty suggests they go back to the Mask's cabin and use the plane to make an escape. And if the Mask should try to interfere? Well, they'll use their gun to settle things with him. Back in the pit, Lois and Jimmy worry about what's going to happen to him. Clark pulls them close and tells them about the hole in the side of the tank. Avoiding questions about how it got there or, you know, why he didn't mention it sooner, Clark tells them to use the hole to escape. They wonder about the commissioner, who has conveniently fallen asleep again, but Clark says he'll take care of him. Once they leave, Clark laments sending them off alone, but says now he can deal with the yellow mask as Superman. He carries the commissioner out of harm's way and returns to the pit just as the mask informs them through the speaker that the ten minutes are up. But the mask is surprised when the voice coming back through the speaker is that of Superman. The mask thinks it's a trick, but the Man of Steel assures him that it isn't, flying up and smashing through the iron bars covering the tank. The mask shoots, but Superman charges after him through the hail of bullets. He grabs the fiend, telling him he'll pay for his crimes, and the mask cowers, begging for his life, swearing that he'll confess to everything. Just then, Lefty and Joe bang on the door and come face to face with Superman. He pulls the thugs inside, grabbing the suitcase of jewels away, and they try to lunge at Superman, only to get knocked out for their troubles. 
He then knocks out the mask and resumes his guise of Clark Kent in order to call the police. Some time has passed. As they drive back to the city, Clark explains to Jimmy and Lois that he merely got lucky when he knocked out the thugs and the yellow mask. He then says that he's talked to Perry and filled him in on what happened, and that the boss wants them to hurry home because a big story is breaking. One of the biggest they've ever seen, and the Daily Planet needs their top reporters on the case. The End He said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're... Angel. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him until it has been drained of all elemental life. So, speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast.
ffcast.libsyn.com. And that's where we're going to leave off for this week. Once more, I want to thank you for your patience with the missing episodes over the last couple of weeks, as well as your tolerance with the, uh, the slightly wonky coverage of this story. Like I said, in, in future storylines where I have to split it into uh, two or more parts, I will take a chunk of episodes and do synopsis and commentary in you know all the episodes rather than compiling all the synopsis together and all the commentary together because it, I don't know, it just doesn't flow as well that way to me uh, but this time it, it couldn't be helped without uh, being rather awkward uh, but please come back next episode as we continue our look at the Yellow Mask's fiendish plot and I offer wall-to-wall thoughts and snarky commentary on this oh-so-wonderful storyline if you have thoughts on the story before you hear my thoughts, please drop me an email to thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. You can also leave comments at the website, which is greatcrypton.com, where you will also find show notes, back episodes, and other Superman-related content on a fairly weekly basis. If you are on Facebook and or Twitter, you can follow the show that way. Uh, to get updates whenever I have a new episode or show-related news, or you can send me feedback and messages through those sites as well. So, lots of ways to send your feedback if you have any. If you want to subscribe to the show and ensure that you never miss an episode, even with the uh, forthcoming, you know, infrequent release schedule, you may do so via iTunes or the RSS feed. And don't forget about the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network, where you will not only find updates whenever there's a new episode of this show, but all kinds of other Superman-related awesomeness in between. And last but not least, I want to invite you to check out my other podcast, Green Lantern's Light, which I co-host with J. David Weeder and Jeffrey Taylor. Uh, With luck, if everything goes to plan, we will have a new episode out in just a week or two, and it'll be a great jumping on point for the title, or, or for the uh, podcast, excuse me. So get caught up or, or get on board with that episode. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and his copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.
The Yellow Mask. Back from the past, the most dangerous of all international criminals appears again with the crown jewels of a world-famous empire as his prize. What will happen aboard the train? Who is the mysterious girl? What will Superman find as he soars above the railway line back along the way they have come? Tune in next time and follow the exciting story with Superman. Superman.